Hello and welcome back to another episode of Running the Table, a podcast all about running and playing tabletop role-playing games. As always, I am your host, Keith, and today we will be continuing our series of setting up uh, the world that you're playing in and the setting that you're developing. So, we discussed last episode a bit about religions and the pantheons that can be developed to give your world a little bit of flavor and idea about the gods that may inhabit it. Today, we're going to be going into something that might be a bit more typical of what people assume when they talk about world building or setting development. We're going to be talking about the actual land and maps that you might want to build. This means the continents, countries, political entities, cities, and places of interests that your adventuring party may go to. When you're developing a map, it's important to think about scale. Now, not everybody enjoys developing maps. Some people really like to sit down and map them out with regards to hex squares and distances. Some people like to have a general idea of locations and general feelings of how far away certain things may be. Other times, some people prefer to avoid real, like, well-defined maps altogether. In these instances, you may find that a theater of the mind or somewhat relevant map that is just about the immediate area or maybe just about identifying the distance between two points of interest may be more your style. But if you are thinking of actually making a map and developing the world within it, rather than theater of minding it, there's an important aspect of scale. Now, some people like to start at the broad level, and some people like to start at the specific level. There is no right or wrong answer here. It's all about what you enjoy and what works for you. Of course, as I mentioned, there are always pre-built worlds, predefined settings for you to use, as well as building your own. And of course, you can always start with a pre-built or predefined setting or something that somebody else has made, such as the world or setting of a game or a book that you've enjoyed, and then make it your own, develop a specific area, or just put your adventurers down in that world and see how they change it. What's important is knowing how and when to place the adventuring party within the world. It's one thing to say, okay, it takes you a week to get to the, this other city and keep that consistent, and it's another thing entirely to have arbitrary or abstract rules around travel times and distances that change between sessions. It can be frustrating when players think about how it takes them a week by carriage to get from city A to city B, but then in two weeks' time, it only takes them a couple hours. Who knows what's going on in that kind of a world, and it can be frustrating to plan ahead when you're the adventurer. So, scale, positioning, and awareness of the space of your world. If you like to start broad and general and then work your way down towards specific, 
starting at a very, very broad level, even as broad as the continent or world map, maybe where you want to start. Now, this can be very fun, but it can also be very difficult to get to that specific and time-intensive. So, if you're pressed for time or looking for something to play right now, you may want to start with the specific map. This means, uh, maybe, depending on the type of adventure you want to go, developing something more at the kingdom or provincial level, something that shows a region, or you might even want to go more specific than that. The Dungeon Master Guide for Dungeons & Dragons outlines three scales specifically. They outline the province-style map, the kingdom-style map, and the continent-level map. The province-level map is outlined as, uh, I believe, one hex is about one mile. And as such, from the center of the map to the edge of a standard piece of paper with hexes mapped out on it, it would be about how far you could get in a day's travel from the center. So to get to any edge would take about a day. The uh, kingdom level map is about six times larger. That means for every six squares of the province level map, one square or hex is provided at the kingdom level. This means that roughly there should be about six province level maps within a single kingdom. And then, at the continent level, uh, a hex from the kingdom level is... Or is uh, uh, ten hexes from the kingdom level makes one hex at the continent level, making the continent level a ten times larger map. That's what the Dungeon Master's Guide outlines. Now, I personally think that hexes, when it comes to map making, are very optional. As long as you maintain a consistent scale and keep that in mind when you're developing, it doesn't necessarily matter what the actual hexes correspond to, or if you even use them. What matters is the consistent scale and how this relates to other levels of map development. And beyond that, I would also say that when you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, there's two, maybe even three, additional levels of map making. One, I would say that first and foremost, it's important to have a local map. Now this might be a, a village and the surrounding forests and areas around that that's even more zoomed in than the province map or the region map. Or it could be a city map where it outlines just the city itself. This lets you understand the layout of a city and how it might fit together. You may not have the full depth of every single building and every single street, but you might have regions or wards mapped out. This gives you and the other players a bit of connection to the city and a bit of awareness of how it may be laid out. This also takes a good chunk of time, but it can be very rewarding. And it's the same kind of thing regardless of where you're at. If they're going to be spending a lot of time in a certain region uh, that may be smaller than a province level, uh, you probably want to map that out, especially if it's something densely packed like a city, town, or village. And of course, there's another map level that isn't really discussed here that's important to keep in mind which is the actual battle map. Now, a battle map could mean 
two things. And this is why it's fuzzy between if there's two or three map styles that are not necessarily mentioned in this section of the Dungeon Master's Guide. A battle map could be the map itself of a single small battle on the field, uh, and as such may take place over only like a hundred foot radius. Or a battle map could be the long and continuation long continuation of a series of rooms making a dungeon. Now this dungeon could be anything, we're not going to get into that just yet, but a dungeon map may be necessary. That said, maps at this level are entirely optional. You can play the entire game Theater of Mind. As long as you're confident in your description and your player's ability to recognize what you're describing, you're fine. So, what do we put on these maps? And how do you build them? Well, there's something to be said about good old pen and paper, but there's a few things that you'll want to keep in mind at various levels of map making. At the grand scale, features are not going to be easily distinguished. And that means when you're at a very large scale, like a continent or world level map, you're going to see just the rough outline of the coastlines. You're not going to see the details, the inlets, the small coves or bays. You're not going to see miniature rivers. You're only going to see grand major rivers that cover large continent basins mapped out on this level of map. You're not going to see small lakes. You're going to see maybe seas or oceans. You're not going to see small hills or individual mountains unless they're necessarily prominent, like major volcanoes or the tallest mountain in the world. You're most likely going to see broad regions of this is a mountain range, there's a large forest over here that just covers this entire area, uh, or you might even just see only the most prominent of cities placed on this map. That means when we're talking about cities, very, very large ones, or capital cities. In fact, it can be important to think of the continent or world map level as being a political map. This is about identifying the kingdoms or nations or empires that are involved in the political world that you're building. If you're not that interested in politics, you can make it very simplistic, very easy. Uh, if you're really interested in getting into the nitty-gritty of the pol political world that you're building or the polit politics of the world, uh, you can go wild here. Uh, it can be so much fun kind of generating the stories of the ebb and flow of war, the collapse of an empire, the building of a new kingdom over here, and mapping that out at a grand scale like this. Once you do have a world map that you're pretty happy with, if you're working in the top down, this is where you'd start mapping out a specific kingdom. I would start with one. Uh, and specifically, I would start with the one that is going to be the beginning of your adventure. This is the kingdom where your adventurers are going to start out, where they're going to get their initial quests and levels, where they're going to become adventurers. This kingdom is going to play a major role for the adventurers and other players. It's going to be their starting point, their home base, a plot device, something that builds for them in some way, shape, or form. They may never get involved in politics. They may never meet the king of this kingdom or the queen, 
or the ruler or the president of this democracy. Who knows? They may never meet them. They may never get to that level of pol political intrigue. But the politics do affect them. And it can be something as simple as a tax on uh, the sword-making iron. Yes, simple as that. Or it could be as detailed as getting involved in noble intrigue and politics or... Uh, in a democracy, somebody votes for one of the adventurers because of the good that they've done for the people. Who knows? The degree in which they get involved is partly up to you and how you develop the plot, and partly up to the players, and which plot hooks and intrigue desires they might follow. But they'll be living in this kingdom. That means traveling. That means picking a village as their home base. That means going to and from certain locations and interacting with people on the way. And it's a good idea to have a, a rough concept of how this all fits together. At the kingdom level, you're most likely going to see more specific geological features. You're going to see major rivers, major roads, the big cities, towns, and their surrounding areas. You're not going to see small villages as much, unless they're particularly important for the campaign, such as the village that the adventurers start in. Or you're not going to really see, like, a specific person's house, unless it's really marked and kind of out in the middle of nowhere or something. You're not going to see individual farms or buildings. What you will see is a city name and a dot on the map. A major river, like the Mississippi or the Amazon or the Indus River. Something that serves as the major river of an entire nation. You're going to see major lakes. You're going to need to decide, is there a coastline? Is it inland? What's going on here? What kind of political climate might they have with their neighbors? Is there a fortress? Is there a wall? This is the level of decision that you're going to need to make at the kingdom level. And... Whether you're building up or down, you're going to need to make these kinds of decisions. What is nice about building from the bottom up is oftentimes the makeup of a kingdom is actually determined by what each village and city contributes. So a small village that uh, really doesn't contribute much of anything and has no regional town might just fade into nothingness. It might not be worth defending. There probably wouldn't be a fort near it unless it was valuable. But a small village that provides a ton of gold from a series of gold mines, and it's the only gold mine in the kingdom, is going to have a large town nearby. It's going to have soldiers. It might have fortresses. It might be a target of another kingdom. And that affects the kingdom-level map. Now, when you're working top-down, you have an idea of the politics of the world and kind of how a kingdom would fit into that. And so you can work with that instead of knowing the specifics of what a village does. So you can say, well, these two kingdoms definitely don't get along. There's a minimal number of passes here in the mountains between them. So clearly the passes are going to be fortified. And then I'll say that there might be a village of import here. And I can figure out what the importance of that village is later. 
So either way, you, you kind of have to think about these things and you've got different tools at your disposal when working with these middle layers. Then if you know where your campaign or your adventure is going to start, zoom in a little bit more and get to that regional level. You want to have an idea of if they started right here and walked for a full day, how far could they get? What would be in range for them immediately? What does the surroundings look like? What's here? What's not here? Are there ruins? What features could they see with their own two eyes? Or three eyes, we don't really know. And this level is where you might start to see things like small streams or tributaries appearing. You'd have to know the rough idea of <clears throat> how a river basin forms. So this is something that I always recommend is looking up river basins and the formation of rivers, how they flow. Uh, too often I've seen fantasy maps where a river flows in what would be the absolute wrong direction without an explanation for it. Now, it's totally in the realm of world building to say, yes, the river actually flows up towards the mountains, but that's because there's actually some magic or mechanism or something that makes it do that. It goes against nature, but here's a reason. It doesn't have to be a good reason. It's just a reason. There might be a powerful wizard that lives in the mountains who always loved having fresh water and salmon, and so the river flows up and over to the next sea. But in general, try to have a, an idea of, of how natural uh, progression of rivers and mountains and such work. Lone mountains, not that common, but not impossible. Uh, hills tend to be near mountains or form their own ranges. Uh, rivers don't go uphill usually. And rivers generally either start as a conglomeration of tributaries flowing in through a basin, or they start up in the mountains or from an area with a large amount of rainfall. And when you're thinking about tributaries, they tend to flow in specific patterns. Uh, rivers are something that I, I cannot I think talk enough about when it comes to map making. Um, rivers in different terrains flow differently. Rivers in a forest actually tend to flow as if they're they're facing more obstacles. Um, and part of that is that the trees of the forest around them protect more of the land from erosion. And so the rivers will tend to find small areas that the trees don't really grow in as much and congregate there and flow there. But in, in large open plains, rivers will often slowly erode the water as they're making corners and easily form oxbows or meanders is what they're called. And then those will eventually erode away, leaving a small oxbow lake. This is a curved lake that was once part of the river, but has since been uh, taken away, ha has since disconnected from the river itself. And these are very common when you're thinking about uh, a large river like the Mississippi. The Mississippi creates oxbows and meanders all the time, and it creates these little lakes that over the next decade or so will evaporate. 
Um, and it might even recreate a curve or oxbow within the river itself as time goes on. Or as, say, a landslide fills in a chunk of the river. The river doesn't stop flowing. It flows around. But that's enough about rivers. Let's switch it up a little bit. The other major thing that you're going to start seeing on smaller maps is towns and villages. Cities, major cities especially, might have appeared at a much broader level. But at this level, you're going to start to see towns and villages emerge. Now, when we're thinking about the, the kinds of, of worlds that we're building for D&D, villages and towns tend to be built in specific manners. Uh, a town is probably the most common thing that's going to exist, cities being relatively rare because they need a lot of food to support them, uh, and thus a lot of farming. Towns generally are a lot smaller, and they don't require as much to support them, but they serve as a hub to several villages in the area. So, let's take, for example, a world that uh, I am currently designing. In this world, I need to build a village. And what that means is this village needs a reason to exist. Why is this village here? What happened? Who settled it? What does it provide? And it can be as simple as rolling or selecting a specific feature or a terrain or a location on the map. And I selected a terrain. So this terrain that I got is coastal. That means that this village is for some reason on the sea. Now I can decide, is this an inland sea or an ocean? I personally am probably going to say that this is an ocean. Uh, so I'm going to put this village on the map. This village is a coastal village. It borders the sea. Uh, and at some point it provides something. What should it provide? Well, there's a couple very easy things that the sea can provide, which is fish or sea goods and trade or connections. So let's let's go with that. Let's go with both of those. This village is a fishing village that also serves as a small port. Now, people come into this port, and so clearly there is some degree of travel support. That means that while some villages might have uh, a single inn that's very poor, this village probably has a couple inns and might even base some of its local economy around that feature. And then it's got fishing village. It's all laid out for us. All right. So what goes into a fishing village? Well, this fishing village, there needs to be somebody that makes boats. So there needs to be somebody that can chop down trees. And there needs to be somebody that makes nets and fishing lines. So there must be somebody that grows the fibers used for that. And then there's probably the fact that they most likely export a large amount of this fish. So let's go with this. We've got a fishing village. The local industries are hospitality, fishing, weaving, and brewing. So there's all the things that go into supporting that. They might have a cooper that makes barrels, uh, a smith that helps out there, um, farms that grow hops, barley, wheat, or some fantasy equivalent, and mills and brewers that make them into bread and beer. 
And then they've got inns that are designed just to support the people at the docks coming in. So they've got major docks, and then they've got small fishing docks. And there's a beach that's got nets drying in it, as well as fish drying. They salt and preserve the fish to sell it to travelers. And boom, we've got a village. Now, this village needs something else. Why do they fish? Why do people come here? People come here to get to the town. So this village is supported by a larger town that serves as an important sort of outpost, let's say, for whatever nation we're building. So the village isn't too far away from the town. To get between the village and the town, it's likely a single day's travel, mostly fields that are supporting both, and uh, a, a specific road, and maybe there's a small amount of woods or something there, maybe even hunting grounds. And we've got a setting that we can start in. We, we have a village, we have a town that it supports, and that town probably connects to a city. That's what I mean when I talk about how important it is to be aware of what they do. A village doesn't just exist just to exist. It exists to give people a new life. It exists to provide resources in some way, shape, or form. And it exists for a reason. Many villages are going to be farming villages because people always need food. Many villages are going to be self-sufficient, so they're going to have just the amount of of things available to them to make sure that they can support their own industry and their, their own population. But beyond that, they're not typically important enough to become a major center. And so they generally won't have a noble in charge or even soldiers necessarily. They might have somebody stationed there or visiting there as, say, a captain that reports to the noble in the nearby town, but they're generally considered not that important. So, they have to exist in connection with a city or a town, something larger, and they're probably a good distance away from it, but not too far. And the connection between the two is likely pretty commonly traveled, which means that it's probably pretty unlikely to run into monsters, but it might be more likely to run into things like bandits. This is the kind of interesting tidbits that you can use to develop the world at a local level. And now, if I were to put these adventurers into this village, I'd be able to tell them about the village indirectly. I wouldn't need to tell them that it is on the coast all about hospitality and fishing. No, the adventurers would see nets glistening in the sun, drying from a day at sea. They'd see large boats, large ships docked at the port with fancy-looking people offloading goods and a couple people going to a large building in the center that has an inn on it. And in the distance, there's a small tavern with lights on. And they can smell the ocean breeze coming off the sea. They can smell the, the scent of dried fish sitting in the open air. And they can smell the... Well, to be honest, if you've ever been near a brewery, it smells kind of terrible. So they can smell the, the bitter stench 
of mash and open pits for fermenting on the on the breeze when it shifts. They know offhand from the scents and the sounds and the sights what this village does. They know the rough size of it. They can tell that it's this small little thing nestled into the cliffs overlooking the sea. And when the tide goes out, you can see the fishing boats resting on the beach and the seafloor. When it comes back in, they lift themselves up on their own power. There's no wall. There might be a small palisade. And you don't really see any guards. There's not really any street lights. There's a couple torches. Uh, there's not much in the way of a shop or anything. There's a blacksmith that you can go to, but it's not a smithy shop. Uh, there's a cooper. There's a few workplaces and workshops scattered around. And in the town center, there's a couple stands set up by a couple of traveling merchants. They're selling their wares, and the villagers tend to flock around them. This is all right next to the well at the center of town. And, of course, there's another inn. With that, I can describe and bring this village alive. I didn't need to do a whole lot. I didn't need to map out every single person or anything in there. But from this, I might be able to tell that there's likely a village elder and, you know, probably the tavern keeper and the two inn owners are important people in this town. And there might be even be a portmaster of some sort that's important and might even have connections to a noble back in the city. From this, I can expand as the adventurers branch out, or I can work from here and develop specific areas for them to go to. I can even expect that they will take a boat or a ship from here and build out specific other areas where they might go. Maybe this village only exists to connect to a nearby island that has the capital city on it. Or maybe this village is one of the only tax-free points of entry to this country. And as such, it only connects to certain trade ports in poorer nearby nations. Who knows? I could go any myriad of ways from this, but I've got a village, and I've got a place to start the adventure. Now, I hope that you have enjoyed this talk about mapping and, and getting a little bit of start going to your settings. Uh, there's a bit more that I want to talk about here that goes into the village and the countries themselves, but I'll set that aside for a politics talk. Next time, I think what I'm going to be talking about is something that is very interesting, and that's currency. Now, currency has all sorts of meanings, and it varies a lot depending on how you play. So there's a lot to talk about here. But in the meantime, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Running the Table, a podcast all about running and playing tabletop role-playing games. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or just want to say hi, you can always send them to me at rttpodcast at gmail.com. I will reply. I will read them. I will answer your questions. And if you'd like to get updates or reach out to me in a different way, you can follow at Running the Table on Twitter. So, until next time, I hope that you all have fun running your own tables. <laughs> <laughs>